tonight, we tackle the issue of rapid onset gender dysphoria. I'm Roaming Millennial, and you're watching Uncensored. episode, we once again explore the issues of gender dysphoria and transgenderism. Now, this is a topic that we've discussed quite a lot on this show, and obviously, since anything to do with gender in this day and age is pretty contentious, anytime I voiced what I think are reasonable opinions, like that there are two genders or that children shouldn't be given hormones that might sterilize them, I've encountered some pushback. Aside from being called a transphobe, which I have found is a very common retort, there are two things people often say when they attack my views toward trans issues. The first is, why can't you just live and let live? What we do and say in regard to gender doesn't affect anyone else, so just shut up. And the second thing is, stop attacking people for how they were born, just shut up. Well, to those people, I'd like to introduce a little concept known as rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's a fancy term and the topic of a recent Wall Street Journal op-ed that has trans activists so upset, you'd swear they'd just been misgendered. It's called When Your Daughter Defies Biology, The Burden of Mothers Whose Children Suffer from Rapid Onset Gender Dysphoria by Abigail Schreer. And by the way, I actually had to pay for a subscription to the Wall Street Journal to gain access to read this article for this video. So. Hope you're, hope you're all appreciating this, enough to maybe give it a thumbs up. Just saying. But according to this article, quote, ROGD differs from traditional gender dysphoria, a psychological affliction that begins in early childhood and is characterized by a severe and persistent feeling that one was born in the wrong sex. ROGD is a social contagion that comes on suddenly in adolescence, afflicting teens who'd never exhibited any confusion about their sex. You see, this article starts off by describing what the author fears is becoming an increasingly common cultural phenomenon. An academically gifted teenage girl who was a girly girl, and by all accounts totally normal aside from maybe struggling with some anxiety and depression, goes off to college. Once there, she and some of her friends all decide that actually, they're suffering from gender dysphoria, and within a year, this person is on testosterone and identifying as a male. Now, stories like that, or at least how that was described, fly in the face of what gender ideologues would have you believe about gender dysphoria and trans issues. Because if you ask those people, gender dysphoria is always, without exception, something that you're born with. It's immalleable and inherent to who you are, just like your sexuality. In contrast to that viewpoint, though, this op-ed scathingly refers to rapid-onset gender dysphoria as a social contagion, and states that, quote, Like cutting and bulimia, ROGD overwhelmingly afflicts girls. But unlike other conditions, this one, though not necessarily its sufferers, gets full support from the medical community. The standard for dealing with teens who assert that they are transgender is affirmative care, immediately granting the patient's stated identity. There are, to be sure, a few dissenters. This idea that what we're supposed to do as therapists is to affirm? That's not my job, said psychotherapist Lisa Marciano. If I work with someone who's really suicidal because his wife left him, I don't call his wife up and say, hey, you've got to come back. We don't treat suicide by giving people exactly what they want. But giving in to patients' demands is exactly what most medical professionals do when faced with ROGD. Like fashionable and tragic misdiagnoses of the past, this one comes with irreversible physical trauma. Top surgery, a euphemism for double mastectomies, infertility, permanent rounding of facial features or squaring of the jawline, bodily and facial hair that never goes away. 
Now, I want to be really clear about this. I am not in any way saying that every trans person is just acting out or going with a trend or simply trying to get attention. That's not what I believe at all. I think that for a very small portion of the population, a psychological condition really does make them feel like they were born in the wrong body, like that instead of having a woman's body, they should have a man's body or vice versa. I'm not saying they're making it up and I'm definitely not trying to invalidate their experiences, heaven forbid, however. I don't think we can deny that young people are impressionable, and there's a lot of positive cultural attention being given towards trans issues right now that extends beyond just saying, hey, let's all respect people who are different from us. And I know some of you watching this right now might be thinking, why? Why on earth would a teen say they have a life-altering medical illness or be inclined toward a life-altering medical illness if it wasn't something they were actually born with? They wouldn't do that just because their friends are doing it. Right? Well, as Schrier mentions in her article, there are other conditions like cutting and bulimia where literally that's the case. Friends engaging in that behavior makes teens more likely to as well. But most importantly, I actually don't think that teens would be at risk of saying they have a severe, often debilitating mental illness just because they see it as trendy. The thing is though, according to modern gender ideology, that's not what transgenderism is anyway. You see, according to 2019, being trans isn't this serious psychological disorder, no, no. It's just about personal expression and how you identify and, and lived experiences and gender is fluid anyway. So just because you never felt gender dysphoria before, if you're questioning it now, well, that maybe means you should transition. I mean, who knows? Yes, I do believe that the modern societal confusion over gender could be leading to individual confusion over gender. I, I really don't know why that would be controversial to say, but according to many in the activist community, that kind of thinking, that these teenage girls who decide they're non-binary after a gender studies class perhaps aren't really transgender, well, that's apparently transphobic. You see, there's been a lot of pushback to the idea of ROGD, with one Guardian article from last fall calling it, quote, a poisonous lie used to discredit trans people, and another piece from The Conversation calling it, quote, bad science. So what exactly is the research behind ROGD, this apparently bigoted anti-trans theory? Well, to that we turn to a research brief written up by Science Daily. It reads that, quote, Until recently, it was unusual for a teen to report initial feelings of gender dysphoria during or after puberty without childhood symptoms. Clinicians have reported that this kind of gender dysphoria is on the rise, particularly for patients whose sex was observed to be female at birth. Additionally, the numbers of adolescents seeking care for gender dysphoria has increased dramatically. It is unknown why these changes are occurring. This month, a Brown University researcher published the first study to empirically describe teens and young adults who did not have symptoms of gender dysphoria during childhood, but who were observed by their parents to rapidly develop gender dysphoria symptoms over days, weeks, or months during or after puberty. This kind of descriptive study is important because it defines a group and raises questions for more research, said study author Lisa Littman, an assistant professor of the Practice of Behavioral and Social Sciences at Brown School of Public Health. Hmm, so far, that all seems to sound very reasonable. And I think it's also important to note that even according to Littman, the author of this study herself, more research is needed. Nobody's calling anyone fake trans in this study. They're simply trying to explore a new phenomenon that does kind of go against what was previously known about gender dysphoria. But the brief continues that quote, 
Littman surveyed more than 250 parents of children who suddenly developed gender dysphoria symptoms during or after puberty. She said she wanted to better understand the phenomenon, which seems to be on the rise, but had been considered atypical even just a few years ago. In the 90-question survey, Littman asked the parents about each of the eight indicators for gender dysphoria in childhood that are detailed by the American Psychiatric Association. To meet the diagnostic criteria for gender dysphoria in childhood, a child needs to experience at least six of the eight indicators. Most include readily observable signs, such as a strong rejection of typically feminine or masculine toys and games, and strong resistance to wearing typically feminine or masculine clothes. 80% of the parents reported observing none of these indicators in their children before puberty. Among the noteworthy patterns Littman found in the survey data, 21% of parents reported their child had one or more friends become transgender identified at around the same time. 20% reported an increase in their child's social media use around the same time as experiencing gender dysphoria symptoms, and 45% reported both. The pattern of clusters of teens in friend groups becoming transgender identified, the group dynamics of these friend groups, and the types of advice viewed online led her to the hypothesis that friends and online sources could spread certain beliefs. Examples include the belief that nonspecific symptoms, such as feeling uncomfortable in their own skins or feeling like they don't fit in, which could be a part of normal puberty or associated with trauma, should be perceived as gender dysphoria. The belief that the only path to happiness is transition, and the belief that anyone who disagrees with a teen is transphobic and should be cut out of their life. Of the parents who provided information about their child's friendship group, about a third responded that more than half of the kids in the friendship group became transgender identified, Littman said. A group with 50% of its members becoming transgender identified represents a rate that is more than 70 times the expected prevalence for young adults. Additionally, 62% of parents reported their teen or young adult had one or more diagnoses of a psychiatric disorder or neurodevelopmental disability before the onset of gender dysphoria. 48% reported that their child had experienced a traumatic or stressful event prior to the onset of their gender dysphoria, including being bullied, sexually assaulted, or having their parents get divorced. This suggests that the drive to transition expressed by these teens and young adults could be a harmful coping mechanism like drugs, alcohol, or cutting, Littman said. So, I know that was a lot of reading from a science journal, but that's pretty interesting stuff there, I think. And it's really important to talk about something like this because right now, there are people who, in the name of tolerance, are trying to expose children to material about gender and transitioning and fluidity at a younger and younger age. And anytime someone opposes it, they go, why? What's the problem? What, you think we're gonna turn your children trans or something? Don't be ridiculous. Children are impressionable. That's all I'm saying, and I think that's all this research is saying as well. And then, of course, I know I'm going to get people saying, why are you so against people being trans then? What's wrong with being trans? Why should we be trying to stop people from being trans? Look. There's nothing wrong with being trans. It goes against the norm for sure, but people who are trans, being trans certainly does not make you a worse person. I want to make that clear. And it doesn't make you a person undeserving of love or respect or anything like that. It's just a disorder, like anxiety or depression are disorders. And incidentally, like anxiety or depression, although it doesn't change you or make you bad, I'd say that being trans is also not desirable. Having dysphoria that makes you uncomfortable in your own body, going through hormone therapy, surgeries, potential infertility, that's hard. And I don't think it's crazy to say that if 
there is some way for that to be avoided for at least some people, we should maybe be pursuing that. If you're new to this issue in response to that, you're probably thinking something along the lines of, well, yeah, if your discomfort with your gender is just some manifestation of fleeting teenage angst, then irreversible life-changing medical procedures probably are not the way to go. But surely, surely, psychologists, trained mental health professionals can understand that right? Well, you'd hope so, but no. This brings us to something called affirmative care, or the gender affirmative model, which was mentioned in the Wall Street Journal article and alluded to in the Science Daily Brief. Essentially, this method of treatment, which is supported by the APA, by the way, the American Psychological Association, is all about the idea that, as described by the pioneers of the model, quote, a child needs the opportunity to live in the gender that feels most real or comfortable to that child and to express that gender with freedom from restriction, aspersion, or rejection. Now, honestly, that doesn't sound necessarily bad on the surface. I mean, I'm not for shaming children or telling them, for example, what they can or cannot wear or what toys they can or cannot play with. I don't think a boy who wants to play with dolls has done anything wrong, and he certainly shouldn't be told that he cannot play with those toys. But you see, there's a difference between gender expression and gender identity, which the proponents of this method actually agree with. And while we shouldn't try to restrict children's or anyone's really gender expression, gender identity, i.e. what gender you actually are, is not just whatever you want it to be. And you see, that's where me and the gender affirmative model disagree. Because according to these people, quote, we define gender identity as the gender the child articulates as being, male, female, or something else. You know what I articulated as being when I was a child? <laughs> A dinosaur. And although my parents let me play as if I were a dinosaur at the time, they didn't legally change my pronouns to dinosaur pronouns, and they certainly didn't let me get surgery to change my arms in little T-Rex arms. Come on, Roaming, they're not saying it should be that easy to become trans. Are, are they? Well, let's look at the APA's website so that no one can say I'm putting words in anyone's mouth and examine the article called Embracing a Gender Affirmative Model for Transgender Youth. The author, in attempting to explain how to appropriately counsel a young teen regarding their gender, describes this scenario. When Brenda Smith's 14-year-old daughter Samantha announced that she hated her body, Brenda thought she was just having a rough time with puberty. But then the middle schooler fell into a deep depression. She started wearing binders, which flattened her breasts but made it difficult to breathe. She stopped eating in hopes of slimming her hips. When Samantha told her pediatrician she wanted a mastectomy, the practice urged the family to consult a gender specialist. After one meeting, the psychologist concluded that Samantha was transgender and should proceed to transition. What? You're advocating transitioning after one session? Because a 14-year-old girl has decided she's unhappy with her changing body and wants to be slimmer? Are, are you kidding me? And the article concludes that, quote, While Sam still struggles with autism and still counts every calorie, he is now enjoying college and getting good grades. The people who are supposed to be helping your children, the psychologists, have, by and large, gone completely insane. The gender affirmative model is progressive gobbledygook. And if you still don't believe me, take a look at some of the core principles of the theory. First, that, quote, gender may be fluid and is not binary, both at a particular time and if and when it changes within an individual across time. And of course, that if there is a pathology, it more often stems from cultural reactions, for example, transphobia, homophobia, sexism, rather than from within the child. 
Now, I actually, or at least I used to, have a lot of respect for psychology as a field, but the truth is it has been overrun by the same lunacy that's infected so many of the humanities and social sciences. And what's frustrating is that when there is a psychologist out there who says, eh, I, I don't know about this, they're met with scorn. Just look at the backlash the rapid onset gender dysphoria study has gotten. And actually last year, Dr. Deborah So discussed this exact ideological conformity when it comes to studying gender in her interview with Joe Rogan. The only scientists who are going to look at this stuff now are the people who know what they're going to find in advance. They're not going to publish anything that's going to upset the public. So in my mind, there's no point to even do that kind of research because that's not actually science what you're doing. Yeah, so I don't really know what else to say about this. I mean, guard your children, protect them. It should be the bottom line. And if it hasn't been clear enough already, don't let anyone try to tell you that you're the one overreacting when you push back on the people who are constantly trying to undermine societal and biological norms. But that's it for today's video. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.